3: This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the second half of uh, Armchair Politics, the uh, weekly uh, roundtable here on the Tom Sumner Program. We have uh, joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics. Our panel of political pundits includes on the left Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome back. Always good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome back to you as well. Thank you, and I'm speaking from my monastery. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay then. I'm I'm tucked away in the bunker here. Um <laughs> But uh, joining us this week is uh, kind of a special guest, a former White House staffer who served in uh, high-ranking positions with the IRS and INS under two different presidents, Mark Everson. Mark, it's a real pleasure having you, having you here. Well, thank you. Um, now i got to figure out where I left off. I was about ready to go to some of the national things, but as Mark pointed out before the break, um, a lot of these things are interrelated. Um, they they deal with a lot of the same issues, whether you're talking about local, state, or national. Um, but uh, one of the ones that's playing out in the national headlines certainly is. Um, what uh, has been happening this this first uh, week or two of the Biden presidency, the House impeachment managers formally triggered the start of former President Donald Trump's second impeachment trial Monday evening after they walked across the Capitol and delivered to the Senate the charge against Trump, the first president in history to be impeached Twice, Wearing black masks and walking two by two through the very halls where rioters had overtaken the Capitol earlier this month. The impeachment managers were led into the Senate chamber by the lead impeachment manager, Representative Jamie Raskin of Maryland, who read the uh, article of impeachment. Chief Justice John Roberts will not be presiding like he did uh, for Trump's first impeachment trial, according to uh, two sources. Uh, instead, Senator uh, Patrick Leahy, the uh, president pro tempore of the Senate, is expected to preside. The Constitution says the chief justice presides when the person facing trial is the current president of the United States, but senators preside in other cases. As the fourth Senate impeachment trial of a president in U.S. history gets underway, there are still two big questions looming over Democrats' impeachment case, whether they will seek witnesses and how long the trial will take. The answers to both are still not known, according to multiple sources. Will the Senate convict the former president and then vote to prevent him from running again?
4: Mm, Doesn't look like it right now. At least the vote they took yesterday, I, I it, they need to get 17 Republicans, and it doesn't look like it's going to, at least at the moment, it doesn't look like it's going to happen.
3: Well, there were five.
4: Yeah, there, there were some. I mean, it's. I got two, two thoughts. You know, the only way I can see it happening is maybe more, if two things happen. If Mitch McConnell should step forward and give the green light and come out in favor of conviction and urge his colleagues to do the same, maybe that would do it. And the second possibility is if new information comes out that clearly ties Trump as an individual to those, the Capitol riots, if there's an email or a phone call or some other communication that clearly indicates he, he played a significant role in pulling that off, that could change some votes. But lacking those two things, as I say, at least right now, it seemed like 17 votes is a bit of a stretch.
1: Yeah, I I believe it. I I think that this is um, this is really a stain on American democracy, and whether it can recover.
4: And it'd be worth seeing in terms of witnesses. I mean, now maybe they may play a role if they can bring in some witnesses of you know Capitol police officers and so forth who. May have been aware of things, or well, like I say, if if there was communication between the White House and any of the uh, the insurgents, uh, that may be a factor. But again, lacking that, if if nothing really changes much, that vote the other day with with the Republicans voting to uh, uh, to find it unconstitutional to impeach an, an, a, an ex-president suggests that there's not going to be the votes for conviction. I wouldn't think. Again, unless McConnell goes forward in a very strong way, and there's no sign he's doing that from what I've heard lately, or unless new evidence comes out.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, Why would you need a definition for uh, to find that unconstitutional? When he's no longer the president, he doesn't fit the role. Yeah, well that's, that's yeah.
3: the argument. That's, there. that's, the that's argument. one of the things that I find really interesting, because he was still president when he was impeached. That's true. So, you know, is this this isn't the impeachment of a former president? It is the trial resulting from that impeachment. um, Does the fact that he's no longer in office have any any real relevance? He's no longer the president. But we have to go ahead, Mark.
1: Yeah, well, I'm sort of torn on this, so if
5: you'll indulge me for a minute, I'll tell you one sort of story. Uh, when I first went to Washington in 1982, I, would, uh, I lived up uh, way up Connecticut Avenue, and I would sometimes walk home, and I would eat at this uh, Mexican restaurant, La Fonda, near DuPont Circle. And um, sitting there sometimes uh, was George McGovern, and he, was, he would eat there by himself and uh he'd be just a couple of tables over from him, and I, and occasionally somebody would come over and say senator and they'd say how much they admired him or whatever else i remember being struck i was uh you know 28 years old and at how incredible this was that the person who'd almost become president in the sense that he'd gotten the nomination of the majority party in the country and there he was he was a private citizen and he was sitting there he was no longer either in power or in some countries dead because he'd been you know, removed at a barrel, by the barrel of a gun. And, and, and I do worry that if we get to where some other countries operate, that we hold former public officials, uh, we go after, if you will, former public officials when the, the, the real action has already been taken here. The president was turned out by the voters. That's what really happened here. And I get the idea of those who argue, well, this doesn't, you know, you, this just this situation is contemplated by the fact that you could have the trial. Now somebody does all these untoward things at the very end of the term in office, I just think it's not clear. And I i respect sort of people who are grappling with this. But I think the practical truth is that there could be more votes for conviction than the five that voted uh hmm. with the Democrats. I, I look at Portman. I think it's very interesting that Portman timed his uh announcement that he's not gonna run again now in advance of the trial. I think it's in I think it's entirely possible to object to the proceeding, but that once the proceeding moves forward to vote to convict. Uh and well, the McCoy Maca- McConnell was mentioned. That's a possibility, too. I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if you ended up with people at the end of their careers and, uh, or, or for reasons of principle who sort of say, yep, I'm, I'm going to vote to convict here, even if they think the proceeding is not entirely, you know, the, that it's somewhat questionable.
3: You know, I'm, I'm surprised by the fact that there aren't uh, more Republicans getting on board with this just to prevent Trump from running in 2024 because they may have interests of their own.
4: Yeah, I, that's one theory I've heard a lot is that there's a number who wouldn't mind running themselves and <laughs> they would just be glad to have
3: Trump out of the way.
1: A lot of things change in four years.
3: But on the you, other you side of four that, four years older. Four years
1: later,
3: there are a number that are afraid of uh, primary challenges in uh Yeah, 22. yeah,
4: I mean, they're they're still afraid of that, and, and Trump still threatens that. I tell you, my theory is that I think if if anything happens, Trump may form a third party. I, I'm seeing a couple of states. The so-called MAGA party is being put together, and and if Trump does anything in twenty four that may be an open question. I think it may be a third party arrangement of some kind. Is my is my guess right now.
3: Well, look what's going on with the uh with the Republican Party in Oregon. Oh,
4: uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think Texas also has got to just just filed papers to form a, a so-called mega Trump party of some kind. Mega Patriot Party, I think they call it.
1: Well, I I I think uh, Democrats and Republicans have become so intransigent but you can't move them. You can't convince them one way or the other. They fight each other all the time. So it's no wonder that a third party as an option is rising. You know, it was because, it was
3: interesting. Yep. There was a news piece on I, I just saw within the last uh, few days that where one of the networks interviewed, uh, a, I don't know if it was a high-ranking, if there are even ranks in uh, QAnon, but they were talking to a, a very visible member of QAnon who was admitting that it was possible he'd been duped. And I, that, I
4: saw that. And yeah. he'd
3: been lied to. And his version of, of dealing with that fact was, I may never vote again. Hmm. Which I think is is the wrong takeaway, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's the it's one thing to admit range. that you may yeah. have been lied to, then you know, pay attention to you know, what's next. Well, yeah, just
4: that's, that's a, no. Like I say, I, I I can see a a split potentially with, with a Trump based party and then a traditional Republican party emerging for the next election or so. Uh, at least a possibility.
1: And well, I think that that would occur even without uh, a Trump party. I think that people are just so fed up with the the inability of Republicans and Democrats to work together for common cause.
3: Yeah, so...
1: That would probably rise spontaneously.
3: <laughs> if, if Trump successfully... Uh won the presidency in 2024 with a third party <laughs> bid would he end up on uh next to teddy roosevelt up there on mount rushmore after all
4: yeah probably uh
3: yeah i would think that, he, that he would be um Sarah Sanders on Monday became the first of what could be a wave of Republicans from former President Donald Trump's inner circle to to chart a political future, launching her bid for Arkansas governor. Um, and Trump has uh, announced his endorsement of his former press secretary uh, on Monday. How long will Trump's endorsement be helpful to re- Republican candidates?
4: Uh-huh.
3: I don't know
4: who else is running in Arkansas on a Republican ticket, as if there's going to be a lot of competition, but I, I would think it would carry some weight for a while. But again, I don't know who else yeah. is, is in the race.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you, Paul, because uh, <clears throat> I think Trump still has that presence about him and the presence no matter where he goes.
5: The, uh... Well, the thing is, though, I mean, she's kind of a unique case because she was so visible. The truth is that most of the people who work for Trump, he he took up all the oxygen. He was uh, far more <laughs> dominant as as the president than the people around him. And yeah. and uh, so there won't yeah. be that many that will have enough of a visible presence, I think, to create their own political path. And in fact, I was talking to a, a former colleague just yesterday about this. Um, a lot of people who come out of come out of that administration are going to find uh, it very difficult to to get positions. You've I you've seen yeah. where you, you've seen where the yeah. companies have said they're not going to give money right, to the right. folks who yeah. voted for to not to see uh, Biden. And uh, I just uh, forgive me, I'm telling all these all sort of stories. But
3: well, I, was, I, I got to put a, a comma there, Mark, because we've got a short break, but we'll come back okay, and pick it up this there. Is
1: Elvira, mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner.
0: I know this is a really hard time for everyone. We're facing a killer virus, economic pain, and all the frustrations of being cooped up at home. Believe me, I have two teenagers to deal with. But the worst thing we can do is let up now, triggering a second coronavirus wave that causes more death and economic chaos. What you're doing is working. You're saving lives. So let's all hang in there, and please, stay home and stay safe.
2: The Tom Sumner Program.com. The Tom Sumner
0: Program.com.
6: Hello, this is
3: State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue now with Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. We have Mark Everson joining our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter. And just before the break, Mark, uh, y- you were in the middle of saying something, and I had to cut you off, and I apologize for that. Usually it's Henry. Yeah. <laughs> All right.
1: No, what I would say was.
3: Well, I'm being I cool was... now.
1: <laughs> I, 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 guys, I'm one of the targeted fields, so I have to. I'm muzzled. <laughs>
5: I, I don't think that, that. huh Uh what no, what I was saying, Tom, was um uh, I served six years in the Reagan administration and um then left shortly before the end of that second term. And uh my then wife and I, we she served as well. We knew plenty of people who who stayed over, held over into the first Bush administration. And a lot of them, I've got to tell you when 1993 came and Bush had lost, they had difficulty finding positions in the outside. And that's just because Bush had lost, even though he was personally popular. He was nowhere near as controversial as Donald Trump was. So I just hmm. think that, that a lot of the folks who went to work and they served, uh, they, they may not have totally agreed with Donald Trump, but they wanted to serve the country I think it's going to be difficult for them to secure positions, and then very few of them will be have you know have that sort of resonance with the trump base that just having served they, they've got to be known sarah Sanders how could be Sanders she was known she was on the t v every day, so I think that's I think she's one of a handful that will really be helped by service in the in the administration if you will well,
3: one of the things that that I'm, I'm interested in watching and finding out is if, um, you know, Trump had such a, a big megaphone and, and, and such a huge spotlight on him all the time that as he becomes less a part of the daily news, do those so-called Trump supporters that, that some Republicans are trying very desperately to hang on to, are, are they going to fall by the wayside? over time Time changes everything that's that's what i'm getting at henry is over time can president biden be as healing as he seems to to want to be
1: that you know that depends on whether he's sincere about bringing the country together uh no more uh by restricting speech and movement by spying on the public. You know, uh, these are stories from 1984. Winston Smith was asked to do a job if you read 1984. Uh, it's, uh, it's, so, it's so easily comparable, and you can see what's happening, You know, though this was written uh, as a, a fiction. Uh, yeah, it was written as fiction. But today, uh, with big tech companies, it just looks as though uh, Biden is using a play out of that 1984 model.
3: Mark, what do you think? Do you think that that Trump brought together a bunch of groups that that never really had a place to, to fit in before?
5: Well, there are a lot of factors there, Tom, and I think that Trump didn't create the kinds of problems that we've been talking about, he exploited them and he gave a voice to a a group of people uh, that felt disenfranchised. So um, and then he picked up a lot of other folks who shared, oh, Henry's concerns, my concerns, others that 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 about the Democratic agenda, if you will. So I think the first point I'd make is uh, Biden was the only person, I think, who out of that cache of candidates who could have beaten Trump. Uh, the rest were too far to the left. So uh, it, and it shows the very fact that the country didn't uh, go beyond 50 Democratic senators, that the Democrats lost ground on the uh, in the House, that he they didn't pick up state legislatures. This all would argue that there is a big center uh, there in the country still. And I think that, um, to your point, I think that Trump himself may very well fade but the calculus has been uh, on the part of Cruz and Hawley and others they're positioning themselves to pick up that base so they don't want to they don't want to do anything that would put them in bad odor with that base uh, very few are taking the stance of sass or others to sort of push back because of Trump's conduct against the base and, uh, so the, the the even Marco Rubio is you know Touting to the base, so we'll see. I think Trump very well he may be consumed by his business problems. He gets past the impeachment. He's still got legal problems in New York. Uh, we'll see. He'll fade, but I don't think that the um, that that very significant base is going anywhere. I think that they they're still there, and and uh, they have some in certain legitimate grievances, and uh, I think that's a political. That's a potent force. But when you look to Biden, Henry's comments and others, what what does Biden do? Uh, He's preached unity, but I think that it's very interesting to me. What's most striking to me is that in his first week in office, he's been pretty much down the line. He's taken a very strong set of quite liberal actions in his executive orders. He came out of the blocks uh, with strong actions that met his campaign promises, but I. I think they were, by and large, quite uh, quite down the line on democratic democratic uh, orthodoxy. So, so that to the degree that that is um, more strident, if you will, in certain instances, things like the one that's most controversial is, I guess, the about the athletics, these kind the impact on college athletes. It's really creating uh, quite a. Um, quite a furor in terms of, you know, gender orientation and assignment and all these things. Uh, This this is he may keep that Trump base more alive than other would be otherwise would be the case by the fact that he's being pretty down the line and following the orthodoxy. That's that's kind of what I and that and that depending on the where the impeachment goes, may make it fairly hard for him to to reach out and to unify the country. Is I was going to add that
4: I think that in the Trump base, there's also some, a good number of folks who are simply anti-establishment. I, I know a couple yeah. of Trump supporters around here who, have, who went from supporting Bernie to Trump and back to Bernie right. again, I mean, periodically, depending on who you're talking to. So, I mean, and then without ideology, they just were anti-establishment. So, let's say they went from, in a sense, left to right dramatically.
5: Right
1: and many of these people are young people those are people who will inherit the future and they're not likely to change their philosophy of within the next four years but as they get older they will become more moderate in how they look at things but right now these people are here to stay for a while
4: I guess what I'm saying is there may not even be much philosophy. They're just angry at the system. So they saw Bernie as being against the system, and they saw Trump as being against the system. So they went from one to another yeah. rather, rather comfortably, without seeing the contradiction.
3: You know, and and Mark, you brought up the uh, uh, the the Title IX thing, um, the the sports and uh, allowing transgenders into sports but but coupled with that or a companion to that was the executive order overturning Trump's ban of transgender uh, people in the military and those two things I I couldn't help wondering if he was maybe moving too fast on those things Um, but then I think those yeah I think those two things are different though Tom uh, to me Uh, I
5: a lot of people say okay uh i may not favor personally uh homosexuality or transgender what all these different things those are those are matters that people disagree on but they may not feel that it's that it's inappropriate for someone with a set of beliefs to be in the military for instance to serve their country or to be in the police whatever else but there's a real question when somebody who's born a boy is going to compete against girls that that people think of that differently on this the athletic field that's that's and that to me that's that's a pretty striking decision that he took there but uh, I, I I think uh,
3: yeah. yeah I have no, some concern there I can see that but yeah. I but I was wondering if maybe on on some of these things as you point out Mark that that he Um, Some of these executive orders have have leaned pretty far left for someone who's trying to talk about unity. And, you know, I'm wondering if 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 there's um, a concern that that he might be going too fast and that people that are still feeling kind of bruised from the election um, might look at that as as further injury um well and and then at the same time uh, you know biden is is facing his first hundred days and how much can he get done in his first hundred days well i think he's taken the calculus
5: that he has to shore up his left flank um because there's still the aocs and the others are still out there saying you got to move aggressively right now and he's done that i think he's decided that he had more risk from the left than he did from the clearly disorganized Republicans on the right. And uh, so he's trying to keep control of his caucus. That's what I think he's doing with all those actions, Tom. And whether that's right or wrong, we'll see.
3: Well, and it's especially uh, uh, tricky because of the um, 50-50 Senate.
4: Yes, yes.
3: I mean, his, his majority relies on all Democrats on board.
4: Yeah, loses one yep. vote, he's got a problem.
3: Yeah. Um, in fact, uh, Senate uh, Senate Minority Leader—it's <laughs> hard to say Senate Minority Leader when you're talking about Mitch McConnell these days—announced Monday that he will allow the 50-50 Senate to officially organize, so Democrats can take control of key committees in the chamber after a week-long battle was Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer over the rights of the minority to stall legislation. The power-sharing deal had been uh, stuck for days after McConnell demanded that Democrats affirm that they will not dismantle the filibuster. The key stalling tactic that requires 60 votes to overcome in order to advance bills. Without McConnell's consent, Democrats were unable to get the votes to pass a power-sharing resolution without changing Senate rules. Schumer, for days, has rejected the GOP's uh, demands, saying, Monday afternoon, we are not letting McConnell dictate how the Senate operates. On Monday evening, McConnell instead pointed to recent comments of two moderate Democratic senators who have long opposed gutting the filibuster to argue that they were sufficient to resolve his concerns, since Democrats would lack like the votes, to change the, the rules. What is the function of the modern filibuster? I saw one Facebook post that said that they should go back to having to talk their way through it. <laughs> yeah, like the old uh, the, the old movie. It's
1: to wear uh, down <laughs> It's to wear yeah. down the opposition through fatigue.
4: Yeah, I used to talk hour. about the, the the record holding a strong third and then he took for 24 hours and some odd minutes continually against some civil rights bill back in the 50s. And I think that's still in the nominal record for a filibuster.
3: But is it as important to have uh, a um, a filibuster option of some sort available to represent the minority um, regardless yeah. of whether uh, the minority are Republican or Democrat? To me, you
1: know, it is.
4: It, I think what, it, what, struck, what struck me, I saw something this morning on that. What struck me is is the filibuster used to be a relatively rare kind of thing. It was used occasionally here and there. But in in recent years, it's become a very common thing, especially when you don't have to speak endlessly. You can just declare a filibuster and it's become a very common thing to, to use for all kinds of legislation rather than just the biggest and most controversial. <laughs> so it, it may have, I mean, I, I got divided feelings myself on it. I think it does give a voice to the minority and it may force compromise. But it can also force deadlock and make, make sure nothing
5: gets accomplished.
3: Mark, you started to say something.
5: Yeah, I, um, I think that this all started when Harry Reid got rid of some of the filibuster on some of the appointments and everything. And, and uh, I think it was a mistake because if you, if you believe the Constitution doesn't change, then uh, you've got the 100 senators there. Uh, clearly, something like 30 of the states are conservative. Uh, the smaller states as a group in the, in the South, they're, they're more conservative, and at least in this period in which we're in. The Republicans are going to, unless they run uh, dodos, over. They're more likely to get conservative uh, senators. So the idea that the, that the Democrats have over 50 of the senators, it's it's. I think in this period in which we're in, is fairly un, fairly unusual, if you w- if you will. So they're not well served to say it's a simple majority rule um, in the Senate that should. Should should uh, be the case. So, um, what McConnell did here, he picked up Mansion, and I can't recall the name of the other senator, but uh, I think that that's a good thing that they they that they will protect the filibuster, and it will in a, in the long term keep the uh, keep the Republicans in check as much as anything. Because look look at what happened here. Again, none of the state legislatures flipped for the democrats in the last cycle and that means that the redistricting that will take place over the next year or two won't favor the democrats yeah they're going to have they're going to have a real climb uh to maintain the house uh potentially two years from now and if they lose ground in the senate over time this could be this could not be uh, a good story for the democrats over the fullness of time
3: An election technology company that has been the focus of consistent conspiracy theories by Donald Trump and his allies has sued the former president's lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, for defamation after he pushed, quote, the big lie about election fraud on his podcast and TV appearances. Dominion Voting Systems is seeking more than $1.3 billion in damages. Quote, just as uh, Giuliani and his allies intended, the big lie went viral on social media as people tweeted, retweeted, and raged that Dominion had stolen their votes. While some lies, little lies, flare up on social media and die with the next news cycle, the big lie was different. This is lawyers for uh, Dominion, Um, they wrote in the lawsuit which was filed in uh, D.C. District Court Monday morning. The harm to Dominion's business and reputation is unprecedented and irreparable because of how fervently millions of people believe it. Can this lawsuit serve to restore any uh, damage to Dominion's credibility and maybe voter confidence? Hmm. I don't know.
4: know. It's an unusual kind of lawsuit. parallel I can think of. Wasn't there one time when Oprah got sued when she said something about the beef industry in Texas and they sued her? Uh, Yes. I forgot what the issue was, but uh, she... she
1: The beef industry couldn't take its beef to market because it was painted or cost too much or whatever. And there was a lawsuit on that as I recall, and I don't recall the
4: results or anything more than that. It goes back some years.
1: Well, this
5: I think this is a good thing. I don't like all the lawsuits that we have in the country, but um, you, you saw also Fox News had to issue sort of retractions on TV because they had gone after Dominion and Dominion had sort of said to them, uh, "You better oh, get yeah. this right." So, so uh, this is part of Henry sort of touched on this big tech and everything else, and one of the things that's underlying all of this the explosion in the demonstrations and on right and left, is, is communications and social media and everything else. And there's just an incredible amplification of statements and opinions as if they are facts. And uh, yeah. so cur- curtailing this, if, if there's no basis in fact, uh, it's irresponsible for individuals to to be saying things like this. So I think that you get, you know, it's a private company. They got to stick up for their own situation. I don't, I don't think it's wrong at all. And uh, clearly Giuliani was a part of this process to, to try and just change the election results. So yeah, I think it's okay that they did what they did. Dominion that is. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yes. But, but that, isn't that too much to leave to, um, private individuals or industries or uh, or large uh, power bases because the government is ultimate. It's everything. And we have to do the one-armed salute to the government as being the authority over everything. It should be the last word in everything, even though it doesn't work properly, but that's how governments work and should work or else the whole system collapses. I want to try and squeeze in one...
4: The lawsuit could restore confidence in the whole Dominion voting machine process. I mean, that that was really the issue, is do we have confidence in in our election process and and I think the point I made before is maybe the the, the fairest election we've ever had. Everything's been double and triple checked more so than most <laughs> other elections.
3: I, uh, I know I'm probably a dinosaur on this, but if it were up to me, we'd go back to paper ballots and number two pencils. But
1: <laughs>
4: well, you know,
3: we, we've, with with
4: the mail-in stuff, we've done more of that this year than usual. So maybe that's a that is a factor. I think.
1: You will never re- displace the computer. It's no. Here
4: forever. Yeah, I know. As you're saying, Henry, and it may, it may, no. it may yeah. replace paper someday.
3: They're taking you're over right. the world. Um, one quick thing before we uh, have to go to break again: U.S. Capitol police are investigating an incident in which a Republican lawmaker was stopped from bringing a concealed gun onto the <laughs> House floor on Thursday, according to CNN. And without, I won't go into all the details, um, but. Uh, my my question is, should members of Congress check their guns at the door?
4: That's <laughs> good for the Old That's West. That's what they did they in did the Old West. West. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
3: I mean, there's been, you know, there's been some talk, and in, in, uh, uh, I think AOC was one of them who said she feels threatened by Republican lawmakers. Um, and she oh. probably has been. <laughs> but... Um, the uh the 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 question really is um you know now they've put up metal detectors since the uh the breach of the capitol uh two weeks ago or three weeks ago i guess it's been now um that it's uh, uh I'm sorry. they've they've put up metal detectors and, and so now <laughs> These metal detectors are going off when legislators, who maybe for years have carried concealed weapons in and out of the Capitol <laughs> chamber, um, and, and which I think is against the rules.
4: You know, when I, I didn't realize there weren't metal detectors there. When you think about the fact most county courthouses have got metal detectors, we do here in genesee county a lot of schools have them for kids going in there uh it i, I was i was surprised maybe shocked when the, when the, when i learned there were, were not metal detectors in the Capitol. no there are metal
5: detectors it's just that the members bypass them oh i see i see yeah
3: they've been there they've been there for years but the uh the, the actual uh the members and i imagine probably some staff too mark right
5: i'm not sure about the staff but uh you know, there were very few perks of being an IRS commissioner.
6: Uh, but one was you bypass
5: the mags. I had a security detail, and they would, uh, you know, you'd, go, you'd wander past the mags. You didn't have to go through the x-ray machine. So anyway, that's part of, part and parcel of being a member of Congress.
3: Well, we need to take uh, one more break before we uh, come back and, and wrap things up for today's edition of Armchair Politics. We have... Uh, Coming up ahead, uh, one of my favorite parts is uh, the coveted X Files—those weird and wacky stories that uh, are hard to believe, but they're true. And uh, very often, it's hard to tell them from the headlines. But uh, we'll take a short break, and we'll be back with more right after this.
1: Hey, (laughs) this is the Unknown Comic,
3: and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now.
6: Be sure dishes are washed in hot water or the dishwasher before anyone else uses them. Stay aware of how you feel. If you start to have difficulty breathing or if you're worried about your health, call your doctor. For more tips, visit cdc.gov.
1: Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
3: Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we wrap up today's uh, edition of Armchair Politics with my favorite segment, The X-Files. Um... Bigfoot may not be real, but one lawmaker in Oklahoma wants to create a hunting season for him anyway. Just don't plan on actually shooting the Squatch. I want to be really clear that we are not going to kill Bigfoot, said uh, Representative Justin Humphrey, the Republican behind the bill. He said this to the uh, Oklahoman newspaper. We're going to trap a live Bigfoot. We are not promoting killing Bigfoot. We are promoting hunting Bigfoot, trying to find evidence of Bigfoot. The bill doesn't specify that. The text, as introduced by Humphrey, directs the Oklahoma Wildlife Conservation Commission to create rules, dates, license, and fees establishing a Bigfoot hunting season, Humphrey told the Oklahoma City NBC station KFOR that he would work on the specifics with the commission, which would include a $25,000 bounty for someone who traps the cryptid. The commission didn't seem interested. If hunting (laughs) Bigfoot, is it okay to use bait? And what kind of bait would you use?
4: (laughs) I have no idea. Yeah.
3: Now, this is one of
1: those ambivalent uh, messages. Where people can go out and just kill other people. I know they said you, you you trap them, but uh, you can make the argument that I tried to and he advanced to me and I killed them. Uh, that that's something that
3: should <laughs> be or, thought. Or too. a guy with a beard, you know, <laughs> looks. <Yeah>. The, <laughs> my
4: my neighbor <laughs> looks a lot like Bigfoot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs>
3: No, I think that's uh, I, I think that's kind of funny. I, there's there's actually a cable TV show <laughs> called Hunting Bigfoot, and they did a segment in the Upper Peninsula, and hand to God, they used pasties
4: <laughs> to try I to know. trap them. They, well, in the UP, that would make, make sense. Yeah,
3: I, I know, right? <laughs> hmm. They thought for sure that that would draw him out. Um, let's see. Uh, two fishermen have rescued a naked uh, a naked fugitive who they found sitting on a tree branch in Australian crocodile habitat. Uh, Cam mm-hmm. Faust said Wednesday he and fellow recreational fisher Kev Joyner uh, heard Luke Vosgr- uh, Krasinski, 40, yell for help on Sunday as they set crab traps from their dinghy in uh, mangroves on the outskirts of the northern city of Darwin. Uh, Faust said uh, Voskresensky, who was covered in mud cuts and insect bites, had explained that he had been lost for four days, survived by eating snails, and had used his clothes for bits and pieces over the way. It didn't make sense Faust said, referring to the explanation for his nudity, he had a nest made up in the tree and he was only laying a meter above the water and there were crocs in the water, so he had done well to survive. Faust said he stripped to his underwear and handed Vosko uh, Krasinski his shorts and a beer. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> as the trio made their way back to Darwin. He looked like he needed a beer, although he was in a bad way, Faust said. An ambulance was waiting at a Darwin boat ramp when they arrived. Voskresensky was taken to a Darwin hospital where he was placed under police guard as he was treated for exposure. Police said Voskrasinski uh, had, uh, let's see, I uh, lost my place, Um, had been free on bail after being charged with armed robbery, multiple aggravated assaults, deprivation of liberty, and stealing, but he had cut off his electronic monitoring device last week and attempted to evade police. Faust said he decided against visiting Voskresensky in the hospital after discovering he had been wanted by the police. Is nudity a good disguise for a fugitive on the run? (laughs)
4: Not if you're in a crocodile pond. I was going
3: to say, and should it be, you know, practiced anywhere near crocs?
5: (laughs) Yeah, I've got gators that occasionally come into the bayou behind my uh, uh, house, and I usually try to stay closed when they're anywhere
3: near. (laughs) I I think that's a good idea, Mark. Good move. Well, that wraps it up for today's edition of Armchair Politics. We have, uh, oh, we have about three or four minutes left. Uh, if anybody has any uh, any final thoughts, I'd I'd be happy to entertain them. And I, I definitely, uh, as I always thank Paul Rosicky and Henry Hatter for participating each week. I want to uh, extend a, a special thank you to Mark Everson. It's always a pleasure talking with Mark, and I think he added a lot today. Thank you, Mark.
5: Thank you, well, Mark. Thank you, Good to gentlemen. have you here. Yeah, nice to be here. And uh, I'm struck uh, by the point I made uh, oh, sort of midway through. Uh, Michigan's an interesting place. I used to live in Indiana and uh, spent some time in Michigan. And uh, you've got a lot happening there, that's all I can tell you. And a lot of it, a lot of it is uh, very much what's happening nationwide, so it's an interesting discussion. But so, So thanks for having me, gentlemen.
3: Yeah, and I and I hope you'll uh, I hope you'll join us again sometime, again. Mark. Um, yeah, and uh, and and my apologies for waiting so long to invite you.
5: I was just giving you a hard time. <laughs> All right, very good. All right, well, you guys take care.
3: All right, take care, Mark. Okay, Bye-bye. thank you. It was fun having Mark uh, along. It really had,
4: was, yeah. It was a nice yes, it on was. The program. I,
3: I've, yes. a, I've had some wonderful conversations with Mark over the last few years. You I, know, he.
4: I've heard many of them, but it was nice to have him to be able to talk to him on the program.
3: He. Um, and he was very much
1: balanced in
3: his approach. Oh yeah, uh, I, yeah Henry. Yeah. He is. Um, and I know.
1: I think he was a Republican, but uh, you know. Oh,
3: he was. Ab- yeah. He's absolutely a yeah, Republican. Yeah. and yeah. Um,
1: But but he was very in this time. He was very, very balanced
3: in his approach and cautious and thinking through these well, issues. The thing that's that's nice and, and interesting about Mark is that he has some some real life experience in government. He knows how things yeah. really work and and so he has an interesting perspective that isn't just driven by opinion but actual experience. And I always find that really interesting. In fact, um Henry You and Mark are my two favorite Republicans.
1: (laughs)
4: Oh. (laughs) I think I would second that as well. Oh, Um,
1: thank you, but I don't know. I don't, yeah, I appreciate you guys. But I try to be balanced. I try to be. Oh, you are, Henry. I hold the system together, not for myself, but for all of us, so that we can all.
3: Henry, you are always an absolute gentleman. And I, I yep. appreciate that very much. I, you know, I, I first met Mark when I interviewed him. He was a candidate for president in 2016 or 2015. Um, he wasn't
4: he the 18th of, of the Republicans? Yeah, he Nothing was yet?
3: 18 That's out right. of 17, or 18 out of uh, 17 that went on to do debates from the uh, yeah, from the I RNC website. And uh, he he told me after. Uh, kind of a disaster in Iowa, he said, I should have started in uh, New Hampshire. (laughs) (laughs) But he's uh, a a very talented uh, guy and and a much appreciated regular contributor to the show, and I hope he joins the roundtable from time to time. I, I, I I
1: was particularly interested in what he said about the one term for president. And that the president should become apolitical once he's in office. Uh, what a what a a, a great thought that is to examine for people in the future. And
3: interestingly, that thing. was George Washington's intention. Yeah, yeah. and he wasn't going to run for a second term, except that the country was at war again, and it set the precedent for running, you know, for two terms and for not changing presidents during a war.
4: But that, that six-year single term was considered when they, when they put the Constitution together. It was, it, was, it was an option.
3: But see, those are the kind
1: of new ideas we need to examine before we let the country go to the dogs.
3: And, and, it's, and it's also it's interesting, wild, it? as Paul noted, that uh, sometimes the best new ideas are old ideas.
4: Yeah. Yes. Yeah,
3: that have been considered or tried before, and you know maybe maybe it's time for him to make a comeback. Well, speaking of comebacks, we will come back next Wednesday with another edition of Armchair Politics. Thank you both as always. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you. It's always
4: good to be Thank here. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Henry. Take care.
3: Anyway, I want to say thanks to. Uh, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter for participating in today's Armchair Politics, as they do each and every week on Wednesdays, and to our special guest today, former White House staffer and high-ranking government official in uh, two presidential administrations. Um, And I want to thank my guest from this morning, uh, first hour Scott Brick the award-winning audiobook narrator anyway that's smoking george let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room so good night everybody
0: tom sumner program is a live variety show we want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the flint area